Welcome to the Aerospace Engineering Podcast. My name is Reiner Groh, Research Fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering, and on this podcast I have conversations with aerospace pioneers about new technologies at the cutting edge of aerospace design and research. We'll start our episode in a moment, but first a word from our sponsor, Analyswift. Do you work in the design and analysis of aerospace structures and materials? If so, Analyswift's innovative engineering software, SwiftComp, may be the solution you're seeking. Used either independently for virtual testing of aerospace composites, or as a plugin to power conventional FEA codes, SwiftComp delivers the accuracy of 3D FEA in seconds instead of hours. A general-purpose multi-scale modeling program, SwiftComp provides an efficient and accurate tool for modeling aerospace structures and materials featuring anisotropy and heterogeneity. Not only does SwiftCom quickly calculate the complete set of effective properties needed for use in macroscopic structural analysis, it also accurately predicts local stresses and strains in the microstructure for predicting strengths. Find out how others in composites are saving time while improving accuracy, designing earlier in the process, and getting to market more quickly. For a free trial, visit analyswift.com. SwiftComp. Right results, right away. This episode is also sponsored by StressEbook.com, which is an online hub for you if you're interested in aerospace stress engineering. StressEbook.com provides world-class engineering services and online courses on the stress analysis of aircraft structures, as well as a free ebook and blog. No matter if you're a junior or senior structural analyst, StressEbook.com provides you with the skills and know-how to become a champion in your workplace. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Three, two, one, zero, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. On this episode of the Aerospace Engineering Podcast, I'm speaking to Thomas Pfannmatter, who is the co-founder of the Swiss electric aviation startup Dufour Aerospace. Dufour is currently designing an electric aircraft with vertical takeoff and landing capabilities for the urban and rural transport market. The promise of the current aircraft, the Aero 2, is that it can take off and land pretty much anywhere, and thereby considerably reduces regional travel time especially to places that are difficult to reach by car or train. There's a long-standing compromise in aviation between taking off vertically and being able to travel fast horizontally. Dufour Aerospace believes that with electric propulsion, it is possible to combine these two worlds. To achieve this, Dufour are using a tilt-wing design fitted with two propellers. The wing and attached propellers can pivot around a hinge between the horizontal and vertical planes and thereby provide exceptional lift, stability, and control characteristics, even in slow flight. Dufour have proven their electrical aviation ambitions with the Aero 1 aerobatic aircraft, and are currently in the process of developing the tilt-wing Aero 2 plane. In this episode of the Aerospace Engineering Podcast, you will learn about many of the details behind Dufour's technology, such as the tilt-wing concept, the tail fan used for pitch control, and the aerodynamic importance of the vortex ring state. Furthermore, Thomas and I talk about the future of regional travel and how Dufour hopes to influence the space. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dufour Aerospace co-founder Thomas Famata. Thomas, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, I've read online that you've been a pilot since age 17. Can you tell me a little bit about your background in aviation and how you came to start Dufour? I was always interested in aviation. Started flying at 16, made my license at 17. Uh, here in the mountains, uh, there are a lot of uh, helicopter activities. So big part of the aviation world is helicopters, which I'm fascinated from the beginning on. So I made my license commercial helicopter license with 20 and since then I'm flying helicopters uh, for a company called Erzermatt uh, in our area. Uh, yeah, we do a lot of high altitude rescue and swing loading operations. So 
always fascinated from aviation from the beginning on. And then how did you decide to start a new, a new company? Well, the second, the, the second horn in my, my, uh, my body is uh, uh, building up startups, uh, all this company thing. So I studied economic, uh, economy, I studied finance, made an MBA, um, build up. So Dufour Aerospace is the ninth company I, I create uh, in my life was CEO for, for uh, quite some time of a multinational company beside of flying helicopters and uh, stepped down there uh, to move again more more things uh, on my own. Uh, and basically, Dufour Aerospace started as a, as a fun project, which means with my partner, Dominic Steffen, we said, now it's time to build uh, an electric aerobatic aircraft. Uh, so that was the fun, the fun part. Said, so, yeah, well, let's do this, um, and uh, we got some funding from from Hamilton Watches, that's a Swiss, known Swiss uh, Hamilton uh, watch producers, and so we we started uh, this project, and then uh, we saw that the potential of electric aviation or electric propulsion, what that means for aviation, and that led, obviously. Um, after a career of 30 years flying helicopters, um, yeah, that should be that should be possible to to do it to do as well for helicopters, or to do a, a concept that actually can take off vertically. Yes, and I mean you state on your website that uh, you know very boldly that the future of aviation is electric. Um, yeah. Can you explain your thinking behind this of of, of why you think the future is electric? Yeah, it has it has uh, only advantages. Um, I would say it's a no-brainer. Why? Because aviation today is very old technology. So let's say let's say let's let's take a helicopter. Since 70 years, it's basically the same. Even today, you have to fly that these aircrafts manually. Um, you have very old, inefficient engines. Uh, you have uh, issues with uh, redundancies. Um, that means it's very expensive to, to make an aircraft redundant. And electric propulsion has basically, at the moment, still just one problem. That's the energy density. But all the rest, noise, way, low, way less noise than, than regular aircrafts. Redundancy, you can, you can build up a redundancy much easier much cheaper than with a regular concept. Um, you have way more torque. Uh, um, it's easier to, to take off um, with these aircraft. It's much more simpler, more safer, because uh, an electric engine itself already is much safer than a combustion engine just by construction. And, uh, and yeah, so, and at the end as well, even if, if you use a hybrid system, uh, you can save a lot of fuel, which is still the biggest part of, a, of the cost of an, of an aircraft. So it's, it's clear that electric aviation will take over a big chunk of, of the aviation world. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the benefits that we're seeing uh, with electric cars obviously translate straight over um, to aviation. Only in the case of aviation, as you rightly pointed about, out about the energy density, the, it's it's very difficult to to make something fly. So this is kind of like the the you know the key factor. We need to be able to put put more energy into batteries, basically. Um, or start with hybrid system. Um, and even there, you, you know, if you if you maybe the. Uh, you compare it with cars, there it's much more difficult. Why? Because uh, you compare a, a hybrid system, uh, which maybe takes five liters of fuel, compared to a diesel engine, very efficient, which takes six liters of fuel. So the added complexity of a hybrid system is not really appealing. That's why, of course, now all goes to fuel electric. Um, but opposite in aviation, so as the motors or the, the, the engines are still very inefficient, so you have a hybrid system with, or, or a regular 
engine, which consumes 40 liters fuel in an hour, and a hybrid system who runs on the, on the efficient peak, which takes 20 liters an hour. So that means you already have uh, an efficiency, efficiency gain by half uh, or, 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 or factor two. And this means that already uh, hybrid system innovation are the logical step for the next couple of years until the batteries one will get there uh, to be to be useful fully for for, for electric bikes. Right. Yeah. So there there's typically a classic compromise in aviation between you know taking off vertically. Um, and then actually traveling horizontally, because traveling horizontally is great for traveling quickly, but ideally you want to take off in, in one single spot, um, like a helicopter does basically. But it's very, very difficult to, to combine the two. And of course, there are some vertical takeoff and landing concepts in the military setting, but in terms of commercial aviation, it hasn't really been uh, it, it hasn't been done. So now you're, you have a background in helicopters, so you want to you can want to kind of combine the two. Can you tell me how electric aviation then allows us to kind of overcome this difficulty of vertical takeoff but horizontal travel? Yeah, the, the as you probably know, there are a lot of concepts now popping up uh, of electric aviation uh, concepts who exactly can cause this this restraint. So. Um, the problem of a helicopter is it's highly in efficient in hover, but badly efficient in cruise. And an aircraft obviously cannot really take off vertical. Um, so now you can you can uh, take that um, problem and try to find a good solution, which can which you can combine. And one is uh, is tilt. Uh, rotor aircraft, these Ospreys of the, of the US Army. Now there is an Augusta 609 or Leonardo 609 coming to to, to commercial world in, in probably next year. But the problem, as you as you rightly stated, is these aircraft are even much more expensive than helicopters. So, um, uh, or and basically it's 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 a it's a twin rotor helicopter. So you have two rotors. And you have uh, you have uh, uh, a very complex aerodynamical uh, behavior of these aircrafts. Why? Because the rotors are blowing the, the downdraft to the to the wing, and during translation, that's gonna be a little bit difficult part. So then you have these other concepts, these pure vertical concepts, so kind of multicopter versions like a volocopter, Ehang kind of aircrafts, city airbus, they build that. They're basically made for pure urban air transport in the future. They have this, the same disadvantages in helicopters in terms of efficiency. So the lower, the, the smaller the diameter of a rotor, the less efficient they are in hover. So they are badly inefficient and uh, so you need either very good batteries, hybrid systems to fly uh, them in, in a good manner, or they're very short-ranged aircrafts. Not sure if if uh, they talk about many of them talk about two minutes reserves. Not sure that this is something I want to sit in having two minutes reserves, especially if you see how batteries are behaving when they are getting empty. It's, uh, and there are few of these who flew electric aircrafts. Uh, and as good as an electric aircraft is reacting by takeoff and a full battery, it's getting extremely weak when the voltage drops and the battery goes empty. So um, uh, I think there are a lot of uh, difficulties still to, to, to pass over. Uh, and yeah, and then there are the other concepts, which basically are convertible aircrafts. That means you have a, a hover kind of thing and then a cruise flyer kind of thing. And basically what we try to do is taking all a, a concept that is 
that already prove his ability. So, opposite in a, a regular multicopter, uh, which flies fine as a as a as a small light device, all these volocopters and uh, ehongs they didn't prove their abilities so far in in bigger size where you transport passengers. Uh, not sure if that's the right way to do. As a helicopter pilot, I'm a little bit reluctant there because uh, it has difficulties in terms of vortex ring state and so on. Uh, so we, we try to take a concept that already proven ability to fly in a, in, in, in a, in a regular sized aircraft. And that's a tilt wing. Uh, comes from the Canada CL-84 and this uh, short XC-142 that they built in the 60s. And all these aircraft flew very well. They, they were, uh, so the CL-84 were more than 50 pilots flying. And you can fly that manually. You can fly it like a regular airplane. And you don't have this badly influenced uh, turbulences from a fixed wing where, where the rotor blows on this and, 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 and produces a lot of download on the wing. Um, and that's why we took uh, such a concept. That's, and, and you have to know that a helicopter needs, a, if a helicopter needs 100% of power, an aircraft only needs about 40-45% of the same power to cruise. So to make a helicopter a hybrid doesn't make sense. Um, why? Because you always need 100% power. So and transferring uh, electric motor or, or a hybrid system to a generator, to an inverter, to produce electricity, to propel another electric motor on a, on, on a rotor, that's a highly inefficient system. But if I can reduce my hybrid system just to this 40-45% on power while cruise and taking uh, the batteries and the electric motors only for this short period of takeoff and landing, then it makes a lot of sense in my view to, to electrify uh, such aircraft. So that's why we came to this, to this concept, a proven aircraft concept that you can, that flew, that showed, that, that already showed his ability in all kinds of circumstances. Um, and uh, a concept that reduces the power consumption in, 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 in cruise flight, such that we don't have to build up a, or integrate a huge hybrid system to, 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 to produce energy. Right. So DeFore's current aircraft that you're designing and then will soon be, be testing is the Aero 2. And you just mentioned that the tilt rotor, um, can, so that allows you basically to transition between the two modes of flight or vertical takeoff and landing and horizontal flight. Can you describe, you know, some of the characteristics of this system? How, how would you, uh, how can listeners envision how this aircraft looks basically with this tilt rotor? So, yeah, yeah one, maybe a clarification, it's, it's not a tilt rotor, it's a tilt wing. So that means tilts the whole wing so that it looks vertically when you take off. And we as well use as big props as possible. The bigger the prop, the more efficient in hover, the less energy you need for hover. And one big problem is beside of the energy density of the battery is to manage all this energy in an aircraft. So opposite to a car where you can provide the energy within hours, you have to provide this energy within minutes. So having all batteries set on the right uh, voltage, uh, empty that much energy in, 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 in a very short ter term, that's a challenge for electric aircrafts. Uh, so still today, you need to have aircrafts where are, that, are, that are very efficient. So. And the first part, and the biggest part, is the hover part uh, in terms of energy consumption. So you have to make sure that the props are big, 
like you don't need as much energy as a as as a as a helicopter or or, or less than a, than an aircraft. So small diameter props are incredibly inefficient in terms of uh, of hovering. So we will have an aircraft that has a a, a, a wing that can be tilted from vertical for taking off with big props, and then tilt to an aircraft mode. So it, it, it converts to an aircraft mode and then cruise with uh, less energy consumption towards the place. And then at the end, you can again convert the air, the, the, the wing to land. So that's basically how these aircraft look like. And then uh, you mentioned the, the, the fan on the tail, yes. So what that, what we as well want to prevent is to have a helicopter technology in this aircraft because helicopter technology, rotor heads, uh, and so on, they are hydraulics, they are very expensive uh, to operate. So what you don't want to have is these uh, parts in, in your aircraft. So what we have is basically just two props, like a regular aircraft, a pitch, pitchable prop, and with that, you can you can uh, basically do most of the most of the maneuvers except pitching in hover. And that's why you need a tail fan to pitch the aircraft towards that it that it starts to fly uh, that it gains speed. Actually, you see that as well in this CL84 aircrafts in these tilt wing aircrafts in the 60s. They have in the tail uh, a propeller who, who, who let them pitch and let them hover stably like, like, a, dro like a drone or like a multicopter. That's the basic uh, concept of it. Why a fan on the tail? As well, this concept exists since many dozens of years. It's called a no-tar, no-tail rotor uh, compensation. Instead of uh, having a tail rotor of a helicopter, some helicopters have a fan on the tail. They use that to compensate the yaw uh, steering effect. And we use it basically the same system as well, a proven in, in, in the regular aviation uh, existing uh, aircraft device that you can use. Right. Very interesting. So um, you also, I've also read online that um, what you're trying to do is have laminar flow around your wings, which of course is great for reducing skin friction drag. Um, and you also mentioned before the importance of the vortex ring state. Could you perhaps quickly explain what the vortex ring state is and then why it's so bad for this particular aircraft? So laminar flow is, uh, what you mentioned, is just one, one step. The other one is, as you as we discussed before as well, a tilt rotor aircraft is in hover always blowing the air down to the wing. And in translation, uh, you get turbulences around the wing because it doesn't really uh, fly already, uh, but produces some kind, uh, it might fly, fly or not. So, and that was as well, that's a very difficult uh, condition to fly in. We want to prevent that. And a, and a wing that tilts and has two propellers in front of it always is in the airflow of the props. So it always produces lift, even in uh, even if you if, if, if in hover. So the, the 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 wing is not vertical on hover. It's about 85 degrees because the wing already lifts. And as soon as you tilt it it produces still lift. So you always have this laminar flow and that prevents, of course, many, many problems that you have in tilt rotors uh, aircraft uh, with unstable flows around the wing. Uh, that's one step. And then uh, a critical condition of, an, of a helicopter is a vortex ring state. That means an aircraft stall, stalls when you don't fly to fast enough anymore, right? So then, then obviously the, the, the uplift uh, stops. A helicopter stalls when it actually blows air down and descends at the same time. So the, 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 download, the, the download air 
collides with the air who wants to come up to, to the rotor state. And then you have turbulences underneath or at, at, the, at the, the blade, and you basically fall off the, the sky. That happens if you vertically descend in a helicopter, which, and, and that happens as well all to this, uh, Drone aircrafts, these multicopters, if they're not flown correctly. Uh, having a propeller, now in our concept, who is divided by a wing, makes sure that either side of the wing still flies. So you don't have a full vortex ring state directly, immediately, like in a rotor, but if you have a divided rotor blow, and either side might still fly, so you have uh, a less critical behavior in this kind of uh, of uh, vortex ring state. That's the that that is one of, uh, of these advantage of having a wing between the between the, the rotor cone or the the, the, the the propelled air cone of of, of, the, of the propeller. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. It sounds like yeah, combining. The rotor with the with the wing is actually one of the key the key things of yeah of, of, of making everything work in terms of reducing this aerodynamic state. Um, and finally, you've already mentioned that you know safety, of course, with with uh, urban flight, urban electric flight is is you know critical, and that once you run out of battery power, you have some problems. Um, but I'm thinking also in terms of you know redundancy. What happens if you know one of your props fails? How, how do you go about doing this with the Aero Two? Yeah, uh, true. Today's aircraft, you have a single-engine aircraft, this uh, four-seater, and they are made fail-safe. That's one of the reasons why why you don't have any innovation, because it's so highly costly to innovate a new uh, aircraft engine, for example, uh, that it that the business case is not there. You can prevent that with electric concepts. Why? Because uh, yeah, you can basically stack, you can build up redundancy at a very low cost. Um, my example is always take a helicopter, single aircraft, five-seater, two million. Uh, single uh, twin-engine aircraft, five or six-seater, seven million, uh, so it, or, or six million. Uh, you see the, the added complexity, the added turbines and so on is very expensive. On an electric aircraft, you basically you see our prop propellers on the wings, and then you basically design behind it two elect independent electric engine motors who are able to propel the propeller. And then you have two independent, at least two independent electric systems. So each motor has to be driven by an independent electric system, like so the the, the battery system, battery management system, and so on has to be independent, such that you always have a second option. Uh, and that makes it much more much more safe in general. Now, which parts are... Um, so that's, that's, that's the electric propulsion system that, that you can make redundant. Uh, the other thing is, and that's as, why, as well why we want to have an, uh, a tilt wing aircraft. Uh, 80 or 58 minutes out of 60, this aircraft will fly as an aircraft. So, and not like a, like a, like a drone. A drone, you cannot auto-rotate like a helicopter. So you, you, if it completely fails, you have to pull a parachute or something. While on our aircraft, it's still an aircraft. You, even if everything uh, fails, you still can fly like a regular aircraft with regular rudders. And there's a reason why these aircraft have this kind of rudders and ailerons and uh, elevators and all that thing, because it's the most efficient way to fly an aircraft. Um, so 58 minutes, I'm, I'm a regular aircraft. That's one point. And what I, as, as well I want to do is I, I, I want to be able to land and take off like a regular aircraft. So if one prop fails, uh, I still can come to a regular airfield and land like a regular aircraft. That makes, in my view, it much more safer than just pulling uh, 
parachute and damaged aircraft. So that's one. That was one one key corner. Then now maybe questioning which which uh, which systems needs to be fail safe and which which not. So you can claim, and there are multi multi prop systems on on the uh, as well concepts there. I'm not too convinced of having multiple props. Why? Because a prop always has to be fail safe. If a prop is failing, you have very bad problems in terms of uh, of, uh, of, of of your structure. Uh, the forces of such a prop that fails is that big that it will basically rip apart part of your aircraft or enter the fuselage. Look at this at many concepts where, where the props are situated. They are exactly on the on, on the on the height of the passengers. So having a, a prop there that fails looks nice, and you have another another eight others or something. But uh, what happens really with that prop? It, it it might damage your aircraft that much that uh, you still have troubles to fly it. So a prop needs to be fail-safe in my view. And that's why we only have two, but big, because they are much more efficient. They are as well as the bigger prop, you can reduce the wingtip speed, and wingtip speed means noise. The less wingtip speed you have, the less noise it produces. One of the crucial, uh, uh, I would say, uh, abilities of these new aircrafts, they need to be quiet. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's why we have bigger props, which will be fail-safe um, on the prop side. And uh, but behind it, all the motors, battery systems, and so on. These systems will be redundant. And the biggest uh, advantage is that you can still fly like a regular aircraft, even if all systems fail. So you have always a second option to land. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking that, of course, yeah, because you have a regular aircraft, because you have a wing, you can even glide. And of course, you have a glide angle as well. So you, you could also be using that as well to, to get perhaps to another airfield or something like that. Exactly. Our aircraft has a, uh, has a glide ratio to, uh, of 1 to 12, which means it flies like a Piper Archer without motor. Something that everybody is today able to fly and uh, it's able to, to manage. So if you have a, have, so you get time even if you don't reach an aircraft, and even if you have a, you can, you can, and that's maybe another advantage of a tilt wing aircraft. So even on a, on a, if you if you tilt the the wing only 45 degrees, you can do short takeoff and landings. You can, um, you always have airflow around the wings as well on the tail which makes it fully controllable even in low speed because of the airflow of the props that that helps making the rudders efficient even in very very low speed so uh, stall short takeoff and landing capabilities means you can land an air or two with about 30 kilometers an hour and you can basically land it in a, in a, in a small field, uh, like an aircraft, like a like a like a Pilatus porter, if, if you know these aircrafts, stall aircrafts that can that uh, uh, that that can land in very short uh, short uh, strips actually, and that makes it, in my view, very safe and very uh, flyable for for for. for ready for this operation yeah it sounds like the tilt wing is basically uh, crucial for preventing yeah stall which then allows you i mean 30 kilometers an hour that's very low takeoff and exactly. landing speed it's pretty much incredible and it means yeah that you can basically take off you know within a couple of meters than rather than exactly. you know kind of like 500 meters or almost a kilometer that's yeah. incredible just just watch the, the, the some videos of the seal 84 and you see exactly what i mean and um, they do Stall landings and takeoffs in, in, in a couple of meters for a six-ton aircraft. Right. 
Very interesting, yeah. So I'm just thinking in terms of operations. So we just talked about short takeoff and landing um, and also uh, vertical takeoff and landing. So how do you envision the operation with the Aero 2? Is this going to be kind of like being picked up at the top of a skyscraper or are there going to be airports? How do you think this is going to happen in the future? I'm, uh, um, I think this urban air transport, as it is called, you probably know this Uber Elevate, Concepts, you've heard of them. Um, I think that will that will gonna happen. Uh, I don't think it goes that quick as everybody thinks because beside of the certification part of uh, of the aircraft, it probably needs a lot of convincing of uh, the people, of the authorities, of the of the people living in these towns. Uh, or they're ha happy to, to see thousands of uh, multicopters or aircraft flying above their heads and so on. So yes, I think that will gonna happen, uh, but not that fast. So what I think what's more suitable is, and that's already, uh, I think that's already the holy grail of aviation. So if you have an aircraft that is able to fly fast like an aircraft, take off and land like a helicopter and because of these new technologies it's cheap like a car so a kilometer costs like a car all of that opens so many opportunities in the regular operation uh, that you don't even have to think of urban air transport imagine uh, um, you can you can fly from city to city uh, in a very short time without going out to the big airport and going to all the check-in and security thing uh, and then fly and then go back and then drive back to the to the to the to the to the town I think what happens what will happen is that we will see a lot of heliports going around the, the, the city centers uh, maybe a, a little bit of the outskirts and that you basically take uh, your handy and you order uh, uh, a transport from the point where you are to the point you want to go. And first, there's a taxi or an Uber coming to you, driving you to the next airport, heliport. There, the, the, the VTOL is waiting for you. It flies you to the next one, and there, the taxi is waiting again. That's why, as well, an ideal size of the Uber concept is a, is a four or five seater, not a two seater. Why? Because uh, four or five seats are, are car size. Uh, I think that will happen. I see as well a lot of uh, uh, other opportunities. So we are living in a very rural area. Um, so we have to take trains. So for example, to go out to our main city, it takes us uh, one hour to, to, take, to take the train and that's very fast by car two hours, by VTOL 15 minutes. So imagine if these aircrafts become car uh, costs, everybody can basically afford to, to, to use these aircrafts to commute, uh, even, even if it's completely rural area and not, and not urban area. So it will change our way, how we, how we travel in future. Uh, and I think there is such a huge potential for these aircrafts, even before you do to think of of urban, pure urban transport. What you need, of course, is not an aircraft that is able to fly 17 kilometers like a multicopter uh, of today, but can fly uh, a suitable distance of, uh, of two, three, four, five hundred kilometers at least. I think that's. That's the size, and for that you still need uh, hybrid concepts today. Maybe not in ten years, but today, but today it's still it's still needed. So I think that's where the market goes. Uh, or, or so we, you will see a lot lot of replacement of regular aircraft helicopter operations at the beginning, and that's as well a reason why I want to have an aircraft that is. That, uh, or a flying device that is close to an aircraft, close to today's aircraft helicopters that you can basically replace these markets. Imagine another figure, there are about 350,000 aircrafts 
in in the Western world, I would say, and the average size is 36.7 years of these aircraft. Imagine this by your cars. Um, uh, it's 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 a, it's a very old fleet of aircraft, and yes, today it doesn't make sense why. It doesn't make sense to replace uh, a 40 years old Archer, Piper Archer, with a, an actual Piper Archer because it's basically the same aircraft. But at that point where these aircrafts come up, new kind of aircrafts come up and are safely operational, then we will see a lot of replacement business of just the basic aircrafts that exist today, uh, I think, in my view. So. I, I think that are the first steps that you that you go. You will as well see a lot of replacement of uh, helicopters. So if you don't do sling loading, so I mean, I mean loads underneath the helicopter or real pure uh, saw or work uh, 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 with helicopters. All, 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 all operations where you fly passengers from A to B, uh, or these sightseeing flights and all these kind of things, will be replaced by these aircrafts because it's it costs one fifth of a helicopter maybe. So there will be a lot of increasement of uh, of uh, of these kind of aircraft. I was just thinking, yeah, I mean, uh, right now what we have is we have a lot of big airports, you know, like hubs, you know, like Lufthansa has a hub, Swiss Airlines has a hub. And then what happens that, let's say I'm in Germany and I want to go to skiing in San Moritz in the Swiss Alps, then I have to fly from, let's say, Frankfurt to Zurich. And then I have to now, that flight maybe takes me two hours, and now I have to maybe do another two-hour train journey, when in fact, if I can just jump on a little other plane, then I can maybe only do it in, you know, 20 minutes or something like this. If I give you a, a typical example. If you, if you want to go ski from, uh, let's say, from Munich to Zermatt. Zermatt is the, one of these biggest, actually there where we, we are close to Zermatt, that's uh, one of these biggest uh, skiing areas in the world. Um, so you take the play. So you go to the, to the to hop in Munich. You get into the security thing and so on. You fly with the aircraft to Zurich. In Zurich, you take the train. It takes you two and a half hour, three and a half hour to arrive Zermatt. So that's a, a a journey that takes you pretty much one day to go skiing. Right? In future, you can get in Munich into in the, close to the city center somewhere. Uh, into this VTOL, and it flies in on one hour to Zermatt instead of the whole day. Yeah, great, absolutely and great. At costs of a car. Imagine that, right? So it's you will you will be able to to go skiing in Zermatt. Uh, um, yeah, before the example of this uh, main city, uh, it takes two hours to take the train to Zermatt. Afterwards, it takes you 15 minutes to fly with this VTOL to Zermatt, and you, you can basically land in the skiing area. So that's that's what the, what what the way it, it changes. Or if you take Zurich, Zurich Munich, uh, it's a three hours drive by car in jammed streets and and and, and so on. Or you take the, you take the plane. Yes, it takes uh, half an hour. But uh, with all the security thing and so on, it takes you as well four hours. And with the VTOL, it takes you half an hour to fly from Zurich to Munich in, in this VTOL. Very privately, in a, in a taxi kind of club seating version, uh, if you have a five-seater, uh, uh, very comfortable uh, privately and, 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 and still efficient. So as well from the ecology, ecology point of view. So it's, it's, it's efficient like a car. Yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, that would be great. I would love to just, you know, hop on a flight and go skiing within a couple of hours. So that, I guess my, my, my final question is, you know, how do we, how do we get there? So I've seen the Aero 1 aerobatic aircraft um, and uh, you're now building the Aero 2. So what is your timeline and the evolution of the project, um, when will we be actually seeing the Aero 2 flying? So 
so the the idea or our idea was at the beginning it was this, a, a fun project building an aerobatic aircraft. We learned there, so we were we made 70 hours flight time with this aircraft, which is a lot for an electric uh, propelled aircraft, more than modern, most of the other on this planet. Um, so we know this aircraft, the, the systems work. So we know how to manage batteries, how to manage battery systems. And the Aero 2 is basically a, uh, from the systems side, just uh, the, the aircraft has two. So it's basically the same aircraft uh, from the technology. So that's manageable for us. Um, and now the, the timeline is the following. So we just got um, uh, founding from an incubator here uh, in Switzerland, um, such that we can produce the first one-to-one -one aircraft uh, not certifiable, so uh, it's still it's still a kind of of model aircraft, not yet fully certifiable, but flyable. So it, it, it should be flyable. Uh, so what we are now or, or now we are doing all the construction parts. We're doing all the scientific parts, so wind tunnel tests, CFD simulation things. Uh, we do uh, build the control system, which is a crucial part of, of such an aircraft, of course. And we will probably test end of summer in a hover platform. So that's kind of concrete or metal steel construction where we put on motors, props, fans, control system, and we will try to hover around with that. So to, 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 to test these systems. And uh, in autumn, the construction of the first prototype starts. So we will be hopefully able to fly a first version of this aircraft of a two-seater, one-to-one-sized aircraft in, uh, in spring next year. Uh, knowing that after that, still there is a, there is a lot of uh, time and then you have to, to, to build a, a certifiable prototype prototype, so with the right control systems, with the the, the right uh, um, construction of, of, of a fully built aircraft, it might take another three to five years to, to be able to fly then uh, in, a, in a first version, which might be a VLA certification for this two-seater. Unless there is someone coming and giving us a huge pile of money that we can build a, a five-seater, actually. So that would be the option two. Even though certification rules get get better now, so they, the CS23 and F423 rules changed, such that you can start certifying certify such aircrafts, uh, it might take some time. Well, I think anybody that is in aviation knows how strict the kind of certification is. And of, of course, it's very, very important that the certification is strict because this is what makes the industry so safe compared to a lot of other industries. And that's why we have such a great track record. Of course, it also stops innovation to some degree. And I think you probably have opinions on that as well. Um, but it's probably there for a reason, although I'm, I'm happy to hear your opinions on this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think... Uh... So CS23 and 423 is, is, is a very good uh, exemption example of the other certification rules. The operation and that is getting awfully bad. So it starts to it starts to uh, harm safety instead of uh, of uh, building more safety. Clear clear net. So today in a regular helicopter operation, just to note. <coughs> You do have to, to do so, so much paperwork and ridiculous processes uh, lead to airline business, which has nothing to do at all anymore with safety. Not at all. Um, opposite now. Uh, CS23 is, 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 is a very nice exemption of that. So they start to realize that somehow new technology 
needs to be implemented. And actually, that's one of these big advantages of electric propulsion. You can build redundant systems easily, cheap, uh, and, and that will help um, um, uh, make it more safe. Perfect. Um, well, Thomas, I'm you know really happy that you you agreed to speak to me today. Just as a final question, where would you like you know our listeners to find out a little bit more about the Arrow Two and what the company Dufour is up to? Where can they find you online? So, ideally, you check out our our webpage, Dufour.Arrow. Um, I think that's the best source of information, or our LinkedIn profiles or my LinkedIn profiles, that's where we, we post most of the, of the news and things that happens with you. Yeah, exactly. I think you also have, this is a recommendation that I can give on your LinkedIn profile. You have an article of what it feels like to fly an electric aircraft, which I really enjoyed reading. And I recommend that all our listeners actually go out and, and, and check this one out because it is a very, very nice article. So, um, Thomas, thank you very much for the conversation. I wish you all the best for, uh, for Dufour in, in, in the future. And I hope to be flying Munich to Zermatt uh, very, very soon within the next five years. I'm pretty sure if, 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 if it's not us who do that, there are different other projects and uh, who are going to, do, to realize that. So definitely you'll be able to do that in the future. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the conver con conversation as well. It was a pleasure. If you would like to learn more about Dufour Aerospace and the Aero2 project, then you can find detailed show notes at aerospaceengineeringblog.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoy the Aerospace Engineering Podcast, then there are a number of ways you can support it. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're tuning in. You can share it on social media with your friends and family. Or you can support the podcast directly on Patreon, where patrons receive exclusive behind-the-scenes content and special episodes. And with that, thank you very much for listening and talk to you next time.